everyone. Uh, good evening, everyone in India and where we are listening from. Today, we are quite exciting, excited because we have somebody very inspirational. I have personally followed this person on LinkedIn and I've seen his journey uh, in the last few years. And uh, he is a very inspirational person because he runs a podcast which is called as Global 2.0. Human uh, global global top hundred human two point zero podcast, in which he interviews billionaires, multi billionaires, interviews the world best people, path breakers. Uh, this podcast has uh, over ten million downloads. My God, ten million downloads, and uh, he also it's actually more than that now. He's also a tennis <laughs> a Forbes featured person. Uh, he has also appeared on Amazon Prime doc series called as the Social Movement, and he's also a keynote speaker. Uh, he talks on the area of human potential, mindset, social anxiety, mental health, and he's also a consultant to Fortune 500 companies. And all this at the age of 22, right? <laughs> so this is fascinating, right? This is like the, you know, the the dream uh, life somebody is living right now. So Mark. Welcome to this podcast, uh, being iconic with Avinash and Singh and the YouTube channel as well. Thank you for giving your time. Uh, we have amazing audience from our side. Very exciting to you know these for these sessions. So to start with, I want you to possibly give us a five-minute journey. What I've told you is what you have achieved, but I want you to share possibly what has gone behind in your life, uh, which possibly is still is not in the limelight. But your journey, how you have been through challenges you faced. And how you have come, where you have come right now. Thank you for the beautiful introduction, man. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm I totally live the dream. You know, every morning when I wake up, I I'm like, wow, I'm literally living like some crazy movie. Um, and uh, you know, the matter of the fact is, is um, you know, I used to also think that same way of me living in the dream uh, earlier in my life, but in a not so positive way, uh, in the negative way, and I was like. Um, and yeah, so, you know, for people that don't know me, um, you know, I, uh, I had a very interesting, uh, life and for me, um, my parents, they came from Egypt and they immigrated to America in the East coast a couple years before I was born. Uh, they came here with like $200, uh, no money. My parents really just worked really hard. They really hustled. Uh, we lived in different apartment buildings, really just kind of lived the immigrant lifestyle in America of just grinding, grinding, grinding. And, um, and I remember, you know, going to a school as I kind of grew up in second, third grade, when I was maybe like nine, 10 years old, that uh, was a very uh, small town. There was about only 5,000 people in this town and there was no diversity in this town. Uh, whatsoever, meaning there were only white people. Uh, I was the only person that looked different. Maybe, you know, there were a couple other people in my school who looked different. And so, uh, you know, this really built the path uh, for things like uh, racism, for things like bullying. Um, also, at the same time, when I was experiencing these issues, I also began to develop uh, health issues, uh, things like ADD, asthma, issues with my stomach, uh, appendix, throat, uh, bladder, uh, issues sleeping, issues with my skin. And, um, you know, really what ended up happening was I developed, uh, you know, really just severe social anxiety. Uh, my mindset, basically from ages nine until 18 years old, so almost 10 years, right. was just 
put your head down. Don't talk to anybody. Nobody likes you. Uh, you can't add any value to the world. Uh, you're different than everyone. Uh, nobody understands you. That's what my brain was telling me for about 10 years. And so that's the kind of life that I lived uh, from as I was a young kid all the way until I was ages 18. And as I turned 18 and went to college, that's where I sort of began to uh, think a bit differently. That's where I kind of began to understand the situation and that I was in. And when I was 18 and I was in college, um, I fell down sort of a darker road in my life. And there was a time where, um, you know, I, you know, my social anxiety that I always had experienced as a kid that went to social isolation. Uh, I began to develop maybe even, you know, depression for the first time in my life, which turned into um, me using different substances and addictions to try to cope with that pain. For me, uh, my drug of choice was definitely food. Uh, you know, I, in less than a span of a half of a year, or even less than that, like a quarter of a year, I gained over 65 pounds. And I weighed over 200 pounds and I was obese. And literally all that happened because I got depressed and I was just trying to deal with my emotions and pain um, with food. And I also, you know, would watch movies and Netflix and play video games and hang out with the wrong people. And then eventually alcohol, drugs, partying, things like that. And, you know, eventually it got me to a point where I was, uh, you know, even suicidal in my life. And so kind of all of this happened. And, um, I began to turn it around through, uh, you know, a small series of, of incremental steps, nothing overnight or anything like that. And, um, and yeah, man. I, and then ever since that, you know, I started a business, became a, you know, entrepreneur, even though I've always been an entrepreneur my whole life, started a podcast. And then, you know, here we are today. And, you know, there's a thousand things I could have mentioned, but that's like the five minute synopsis. That's, that's inspiring, Mark. That's inspiring. So, Mark, I want to ask you, uh, what do you see as a fundamental flaw in the society or in the education which breeds this bullying and the, you know, the social anxiety, the, the racism? What do you see as a fundamental flaw in the system we are living right now? Um, I mean, I think that's a super interesting question. So, um, so it's funny, right? Because um, so I actually, so I received a Facebook message um, from someone who actually bullied me in school like a month ago. And they sent me this message. And, um, and this is someone who, you know, verbally abused me and physically abused me for a long time. And they sent me a message and they said, you know, I, I can't believe all these things that you're doing today. Uh, you know, you're such an inspiration. Uh, you know, I remember bullying you. And, you know, they said in that message that uh, the reason why they were bullying me was because they had uh, so much pain that they didn't know how to deal with at that time because their dad uh, was an abusive alcoholic. And whenever he would drink alcohol, he would beat the crap out of him. And so, you know, now that's really enabled me to understand that, um, you know, people who bully and people who do mean things, it's because those mean things were done to them at one point in their life and they just haven't healed. Um, and then in terms of like society, you know, I, I mean, I don't know, I'm sure it's pretty, I'm sure it's pretty complex. I think that, um, you know, if you look at America, for example, I think America is a very interesting country in the sense of, um, 
it's very diverse, right? Like I, I view America as the country of the world. You know, everywhere you go in America, you're going to see Indian people, Asian people, Mexican people, Guatemalan people, uh, people from Ireland, people from Norway, people from Australia. You're going to see all kinds of different people. And I think, you know, like we all know that diversity is a good thing. You know, it's a good to have um, a diverse range of people in terms of like their race and also in terms of people's ideas, how they think about the world. But I also think that it's not the way that humans were designed. And the way that humans were designed were to be in a village, were to be in a small neighborhood where everyone looked like everybody else because they grew up within that same geographical proximity, within that same exact location. And in, you know, in my book, I, I dig down into the neuroscience of this. And um, this is just simply the way that we were created. Uh, if like, for example, like um, if you are around people who do not look like you, your brain will um, send out different neurotransmitters and different thoughts and emotions to get you to feel like you don't belong. And it's a very natural mechanism because our brain um, was not designed to make us happy. Our brain was designed to get us to survive and to keep this organism moving forward. That is more important than positivity, you know? Um, and so when I look at it from that understanding, you know, bullying and I guess making fun of people because of their race makes a little bit more sense. Um, but, you know, I also think that, um, you know, this problem has, um, has definitely uh, progressed for sure. Um, I think for sure people today are, are less racist because we have access to uh, the internet. We have access to uh, seeing how other people around the world live. However, there are definitely still pockets, small pockets in America for sure, where these ideas have not really been diversified yet. And they're still very much contained in like these very small, like small town mentality, 5,000 people vibes that people just don't think that way. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think there's a, there's a thousand issues I could point to the education system, society, the government, I don't know. But at the end of the day, I think it just comes back to, um, you know, how much control each person has and what they can control about themselves and not to worry about things that they can't control, you know? Yeah. Fabulous. Fabulous. So Mark, uh, no, as you talk about the, uh, the, the something very, uh, very powerful, the neuroscience of why and how we may be not able to relate to other people and the brain is designed to make us survive, not happy. Uh, mm. What do you see the role of, uh, say, individual self-image in the entire process, right? As you mm. go through this process, what do you see as a role of self-image? It has been a very widely spoken topic, right? From the book when uh, the Psycho-Cybernetics Mark Smell's book came in. Oh, yeah. What do you feel as a role of this individual self-image and how far that plays a role in developing a person to, uh, to one's own potential, right? How do you do that? So what do you, role, uh, what do you see as a role of self-image in the entire process? Yeah. Um, you know, so I could tell you're obviously very smart because, um, you know, social anxiety has so much to do with one's excessive need to try to manage their uh, self-image, right? And, um, you know, the first thing that uh, comes to mind, like when someone like you says that mm. is, um, you know, if you actually look 
uh, at this research that's come out of um, Stanford University. And they actually look at uh, social anxiety and they look at um, uh, sort of, um, you know, the role in, in sort of the different ways that uh, people can improve uh, their self-image. And um, I remember they did this in 2009 and uh, I wrote this down and the head researcher of their study, he talks about uh, uh, meditation. He talks about meditation as a very powerful way that has actually been proven to be more effective than other kinds of therapy for someone who has social anxiety. And I'll read you the quote and it says, um, the idea is that if a person has the psychological flexibility to shift freely from one mode of thinking to another mode, then that is a sign of health. It's when we get stuck in certain thinking patterns that our beliefs become maladaptive. Often people will subsequently show up in their 20s and 30s with depression or substance abuse. And if you dig below that, you find that what preceded all of that was an internal anxiety about performing in social situations. And so, you know, the, the topic that you sort of bring up here around self-image is extremely important. And that's the reason why I actually decided to write this book, right? Because if someone has never experienced social anxiety, you can think it is a very, um, it is a common problem, but you can think it's sort of uh, not a serious problem, right? And of course, everyone to some degree experiences, you know, temporary moments of being shy or uh, being, you know, introverted. And there's, there's no problem with that. It's when it's become sort of a habitual pattern. And the reason why is because if you have social anxiety, the way that you think about yourself and the way that you think about what you do here in life is heavily, heavily skewed. And the reason is because humans have grown to be um, psychosocial group creatures, meaning that our brains have progressed, evolutionary speaking, to you know, not only detect threats in the environment that are physical, like someone's about to come kill you or a tiger, but they've also been adapted to detect threats in the psychosocial group environments. And so the way that literally each one of our identities and egos are constructed are through these mirrors of social interactions in which we learn more about ourselves. And so if you take someone that has social anxiety, who has uh, self-image issues, you're not just going to find social anxiety. You're going to find many, many other problems that, are, that have to do with this. And actually, the first chapter in my book is titled, social anxiety is not your problem. And that's because a lot of us who maybe face being shy or socially anxious, we're like, wow, this is, uh, this is a problem that is placing boundaries on our head. But when you actually dig deeper down into the root cause, you realize that it's not actually about social anxiety. It's about psychological trauma based on your neuroscience of the experience that you have created for yourself through the mental models and evidence that your brain collects and has conditioned to sort of find. And so if you take someone who has social anxiety and who has self uh, image issues, man, there are going to be so many other problems like that too. Uh, you're going to have some issues with maybe, um, 
you know, maybe substance abuse or not necessarily a substance, but some sort of uh, addiction doesn't have to be a substance. It can be in, in my case, like with food or uh, video games or something like that. Um, and then in my book, I kind of um, go through this very uh, simple yet complex detailed way to kind of uh, go through the steps to change the way that you think about yourself and to change your image in and of itself. Yeah, yeah. One of the posts I saw on LinkedIn where you mentioned very, very easy, but very simple ways and very powerful, I felt, of how do you overcome. So I remember one of the steps you wrote was uh, go on the street and ask somebody for the direction, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. So can you just give me quickly, maybe for the audience, just a summary of what, how that looks like. How do you, like, simple steps, not very complicated, but how do you do that? Like when you are somebody having something like that, something of that sort of an issue for you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, so what, what you're talking about is uh, exposure therapy and it's, uh, it's like a whole chapter in my book and there's many different ways to think about it. There's different, many different angles. Um, essentially, what you're trying to do is you're trying to systematically expose yourself to this fear, right? And so it could be by talking to people. It could also be done in other ways. So for example, um, looking back at my life, I realized that I had a layer of social anxiety because social anxiety comes in many different layers. Um, I had one layer of social anxiety around my physical self-image in terms of the way that my body looked, um, like how, how much I weighed, and then also the clothes that I wore. Right. And I realized that's because uh, the reason why I was socially anxious about those was because, you know, growing up as a kid, my family didn't really have any money to buy me new clothes. And so I would wear the same clothes to school over and over and over again. And I remember people would make fun of me for it. And, and I kind of made fun of myself for it too. And I kind of felt bad. And so one of the things that I began to do was I remember I bought like a pink hat, I bought a bright pink, uh, like short shorts, very tight. I bought a tight pink shirt and I would just go to the most crowded places in my city in Boston and like the mall and like public centers. And I would just walk around and I would, you know, condition myself to not care about what other people think about my physical appearance. Um, you know, that's one of them. And I also, of course, like lost weight and I started going to the gym and I improved the way that my physical body looks. And then, you know, when it comes to sort of what you said of um, things that you can do, uh, I mean, it's funny, right? Because, um, you know, this, this story, uh, you know, this is sort of how I began to do it. And I remember when I first sort of uh, realized that I had social anxiety, I was like, I, you know, I have, to, I have to get out of this. I have to condition myself out of this. And so, like you said, one of the things that I would do is I made a plan to talk to strangers. And I, I remember I would, you know, pull out my journal and I would write down like, um, hey, uh, you know, hey, Mark, go outside and start a conversation with 10 strangers. And then I would go outside and I would try to start a conversation with somebody but it didn't work. <laughs> you know, my brain would be like, dude, don't talk to that person. Talk to the next person. Then you walk to the next person. Don't talk to that person. Talk to the next person. Does it? Oh no, they, they look like they're busy. Your brain comes up with every kind of excuse. And like you you feel like your forehead start to flash. You feel your armpits start to sweat and, and sweat drip down and your throat trembles and your throat shakes and your mind all of a sudden becomes scattered and you, you have no idea what you're thinking now. And you're like, wait, what was I about to say? Um, 
And so I remember I tried to do that. It didn't work. So then I was like, wait, I need to break this down because this is clearly not going to work. And so I was like, I'm going to walk up to 10 people and ask them what the time is. And so I walked up to 10 random people, you know, just sort of seeking information that was purely information based. That was just black and white. And I was like, Hey, sorry to bother you. Do you know what the time is? And they would, you know, almost every single person said, yeah, the time is, you know, 1041 or something like that. Um, and so after I did that, what I would then do is I would ask somebody for the time and also directions. And, and I would be like, to get to like some cafe that I could see like right there. And then it'd be like, yeah, you just go straight, dude. It's, it's right in front of you. And then, and then it would be like, Hey, ask somebody what the time is directions and then try to leave them a compliment. And so I'd be like, Hey, that's a nice jacket or Hey, um, you know, you have nice hair or something, you know, something like that. And then eventually it would get back to start a conversation with this person. And, um, and yeah, I mean, there's many different versions of that. And, you know, in the book, it walks through people, all the different layers and the ways and how to tackle it and how it's different. But yeah, you know, systematically exposing yourself to your fears can definitely be good. For sure. That seems to be a very interesting book. I'll just come in sometime, but I want to ask a few more questions before you come to the book. So Mark, uh, looking back now from this place, uh, say five, eight years down the line, uh, in your past, what were the uh, like couple of fears which you had very strongly, which you possibly realized then or realized later, which influenced the way you lived? So a couple of fears which you felt like very strongly gripped you and influenced your entire life the life then at that point of time? Um, yeah, I mean, for sure, obviously one of them is uh, uh, social anxiety, <laughs> obviously. Um, but um, social anxiety for sure. Uh, I'm sure a fear of mine um, was the fact that I wouldn't amount to anything. Um, but honestly, I think the biggest fear and this is actually a fear that like helped me become the person who I am today and helped me transform is the fear that I won't use my potential. And you know what that, you know, what really meant what ended up happening was, um, remember I was on Facebook one day and I stumbled across a video from Steve jobs and this video talked about Steve jobs talking about death. And he talked about how life, death is life's greatest invention. Death is life's way of telling you that you don't have all of the time in the world. And it's to get you to actually do what you really want to do. And I remember when I was sitting in my college dorm room and I, and I realized this, I was like, wait, what? I'm going to die? And I think the matter of the fact is, is because I mean, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to bash any like culture or any religion by any means, but I think for the most part, if you look at every cultural operating system, whether it's in India or America, when someone is born, there are standard beliefs that are automatically assumed that you don't even think. Yeah. And so whether you look at um, like uh, Christianity's uh, heaven or you look at some other life death uh, sort of scenario, you know, almost every single religion, almost every single culture has talked about death because they know how important it is. And unless you consciously think that in your own brain, I don't think you can get to that conclusion. And I think a lot of the times 
what started off for good reason of kind of establishing a, a death narrative of heaven or, or reincarnation or whatever you believe in, um, I think a lot of us don't really think about it anymore. And unless you've been taught it, you can almost sort of assume it. You can sort of give it as a given. And I remember for me, when I first realized that I was like, wait, I could literally die tomorrow. And if I die tomorrow, I'm literally going to let, you know, my, my biggest fear at that time, social anxiety, talking to people, I'm literally going to get some opinion of some other person to get me to not do something versus like, if I'm actually like about to die, am I really going to care about that person's opinion? And then also, if you think about it, um, and you think about our thoughts and you think about our beliefs, you know, those are essentially, um, you know, neurons firing in your brain uh, with electricity, with electrical impulses. So essentially what you're saying is you would rather believe that electricity firing back and forth between your brain than living the person, than being the person that you actually want to be that you want to be on your deathbed and not have, you know, a regret in life. And so um, when I sort of shifted that as like my biggest fear of like, wow, I could literally die tomorrow and I'm going to have so much regret. It's insane. And it's so crazy. I remember, you know, I don't even know what this feels like anymore because I'm actually out there living my best life. But I remember like almost every single day as a kid, every single day at night when the day was done, I would have such like this heavy feeling of like regret of like, man, I should have said this. I should have done that. I should have not done that. I literally felt that every single day of my life growing up. And, um, you know, it turns out sometimes you just need 10 years to be able to realize like, wow, um, you actually should be doing what you got to do. And, you know, you say that I'm young. And so, I mean, I'm glad I was able to kind of figure this out when I was kind of young and, you know, there's people out there that are double my age right. and haven't figured this out by a long shot. And so I'm just trying to spread that information out there because it's important. Okay. Sure. Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, Mark. So now when we see you, the flamboyant Mark on LinkedIn, right. Putting some amazing, amazing content, very relevant, <laughs> very, very, and that shows by the kind of engagement you get. Uh, I want to also touch upon what is the part of social media you see for people who may go through these issues in their past or who are still going through, how social media can, in a positive way, can leverage or can be come as a help for them. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's an amazing question, man. So this is actually, uh, this is actually a subsection in my book because, uh, because it's super no, important. Just to inform everyone, I haven't read the book still. I have to say it's not published still, but the questions I'm asking is purely based on what I've seen you doing on, on LinkedIn and your podcast. So yeah, please go ahead. It's a great question, man. Um, so this is what I would say, right? Um, so I think that if you give anybody who is mentally stable mentally unstable, excuse me, uh, a powerful tool such as social media or such as anything, um, they're probably going to abuse it, right? I think we have to understand that um, the average person today, even like the poorest people in Africa that have smartphones, um, they have more powerful computers in their pockets than the United States president had 20 years ago. And so when there's that much power in something, there needs to be a lot of responsibility, right? And so 
I think with that being said, I think social media could absolutely become a great tool that someone can use to help them with social anxiety and then also potentially do the opposite. Um, you know, believe it or not, the first time where other than like, you know, some of my close friends and family, the first time when I actually began to uh, express and share that I was socially anxious, that I was afraid to talk to people was actually on LinkedIn. I recorded a video at the end of 2017 for this challenge that they were doing called uh, let's, let's be honest or let's get honest or something like that. And I remember this was my first video ever uh, on LinkedIn. This is the first time I ever posted. And I just recorded like this two minute video on my laptop of me just saying like, Hey guys, what's up? I'm Mark. Uh, throughout my entire life, I've faced social anxiety. I can never talk to people. I was always so afraid. And I'm now taking steps to, um, you know, sort of eliminate that aspect of my life. And I'm greatly, I'm, I'm you know, more greatly uh, not socially anxious anymore. And, you know, honestly, man, a really interesting ha thing happened in my brain. Um, what ended up happening was, um, so what I realized, man, is that when it comes to mental health and fears, especially a lot of the main problems that we have that block us from processing these emotions and, and getting through them and healing is not actually the problem itself is not actually the fear itself, but it's actually the shame that builds up behind that fear. And it's like on top of my social anxiety, my biggest fear, maybe this is social anxiety, but my biggest fear growing up was people finding out that I have social anxiety and that I have these problems. And so when I lifted that shame, when I lifted that, 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 that fear of fear in that LinkedIn video, and I began to do that in the world too, all of a sudden I felt like I had a, a sane degree of freedom around my social anxiety. And you know, this is about like one year into my journey. And so I was already sort of like doing the right things to help me recuperate. But it was almost as if like a, like a light switch just went off in my brain. I was like, wow, if I just posted a video of myself on the internet, talking about my biggest fears for everyone to see, now it's out in the open. Now there is nothing for me to hide. Now there is no shame that I need to hide and try to block and prevent. That's honestly probably the biggest reason as to why I'm doing you know, what I'm doing. I'm doing it because sure, I want to help people for sure. And, and, you know, I didn't have these solutions to my problems growing up and I want to give that to other people, but it's also like what I'm doing is also this, the same way that I'm also coping with having social anxiety and dealing with it. And so I think if you can use social media as that tool to, you know, appropriately and respectfully kind of share with the world about, um, you know, some of your problems that you're trying to be proactive about and, and, you know, maybe share your experience. I think it could be a great, great, great tool. Um, and then the other great part about it now is like, um, you know, when I go to events or when I go to wherever and somebody recognizes me, somebody knows me, they can immediately think of like, oh yeah, I just saw Mark's LinkedIn post. So he's probably thinking about social anxiety introversion versus if I just met some random person, uh, there's often like a lot of small talk. But when you are able to accurately represent yourself online, the next time you meet someone, they instantly know who you are about and you're able to just dive into deep topics like this one than just kind of 
shallowly cover, um, you know, sell, uh, small talk. And so, yeah, man, that's what I would say. And so I definitely think it can go both ways for good and bad. And I think very, uh, the last uh, couple of points you mentioned was that, uh, I think it's very important also to be very authentic the way you are not trying to pretend something on the social media and something different outside. I think that integrity has to be maintained as well. Right. You really put yourself the way you are and not try to portray some, something else than what you are truly in fact. You know? so I think, I think that that point I think feels like as well. Now, Mark, uh, so coming back to one of the most important questions I wanted to ask. Now I have been last 13, 14 years for me have been into the area of uh, connecting science and ancient wisdom and spirituality. And one of the things I work really deep inside is on the area of law of attraction. So yeah. I heard a podcast from you in which you mentioned about something happening, you know, right? Something happening, and here next day you had some. So I want you to tell the, that, like, with maybe some couple of instances which you came across and which for you was also fascinating, possibly. So what was that like, you know? Uh, the Gary- yeah, I mean, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, dude, it's uh, it's pretty crazy. I, it's gone to that point where I think that. Um, you know, my journal is basically just a future predicting machine <laughs> in the sense of like, um, of course, this is not a 100%, but there have been so many times where like I'm journaling in the morning and I've written down something of like something cool that would happen. or I really feel like it would happen. And like literally the next day I get an email and it's like, hey, <laughs> and so, you know, I don't exactly know. Um, when you do the journal, yeah, you, you're writing about, sorry to interrupt, when you do the journey, you're writing about what you want to happen or what has happened for you. What does that you do as journaling? Just to decode the journey process you follow. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's, there's a few different ways I go about it. It definitely depends. I think what I'm writing about, what I do have, it's probably more in, um, in a sense of just recounting what I'm grateful towards other times um i just write like free flow my thoughts uh to just try to process my emotions um like i'll just literally write down exactly what i'm thinking to get a third perspective or mental clarity on my brain Uh, and then when it comes to like like kind of what you're saying about law of attraction what i usually do is um like usually after i write down what i'm grateful for i'll write down i'll be like man, like, and and I'll try to imagine it too. Um, I think that's another key point. I'll try to like, once I write it, I'll try to like sit there and and feel it. And usually when I, um, you know, speak on how grateful I am, I kind of feel like a lot of like those loving, feel good emotions rise up and it's much easier to kind of, um, do the same thing, but with things you want. So like there have been times where I'm like, um, you know, um, you know, when my book comes out, it's going to be a New York Times bestselling book. And I, I see the email and I see the Amazon ranking and I see the, the letter I get and I see the different like New York Times bestseller, Mark Metry. Like I see these things, I experience them. Sometimes I'm like, man, I wish I could uh, speak next to stage next to like Gary Vee, for example. And then I'm like sitting there and I'm like, wow, I'll be like up on stage. I'll be rocking it. Literally the next day I get an email. It's like, hey, you got invited to be next to Gary V in Las Vegas this summer. Um, and so, and so, yeah, usually I write down what I want to happen and I try to associate an emotion with it and try to visualize it. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's been so many examples. And also, if you understand that true, also, you also know that it works in the reverse. And I've had so many problems earlier in my life. And you know, that's what I think a big part of it is. I think that, um, I think throughout my entire life, just since I've been here on planet earth, I think I've, I've had a very high capacity 
for um, like these kind of spiritual things, but I just didn't know how to use them. And so I think they were working against me. And so when all my time as an overthinker, I'll be like, man, I hope this doesn't happen, man. I hope this doesn't happen happens. So I think a big part of that was just, I didn't know how to sort of use the weapon that I've been given throughout my entire life. But now that I'm starting to learn how to harness it, I mean, like, that's how a ton of these good things are happening for me now versus before a ton of not so great things. So, um, you know, it's, it is what it is. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. And I, I hope that uh, amen to you, amen to your uh, New York bestseller. I hope that hits yeah. the first day, first uh, the launch. Now, now we'll go through some quick, quick, quick questions, short answers possibly. And we have four or five of them. And then you come to the book. We'll talk about your book and then we are like good to uh, close for this time. So uh, quickly, Mark, uh, what is the gift you have been blessed with? Oh, man. Um, I think the gift that I've been blessed with is, okay, so I'd say two gifts. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think one, it's the gift of uh, paradoxicality. Um, and so I think um, whenever I think of an idea, whenever I think of something, I always think of the opposite and I'm able to hold where both of those perspectives can be true at the same time. Um, so I think that's one gift. I think the other gift is that I think I'm, through the years, I've learned how to talk about things and express things that everybody feels, but they don't know how to put into language. And so, um, you know, people tell me that all the time with my LinkedIn post, people tell me that on my podcast. Uh, I'm sure it doesn't happen every time, but I think those are my two gifts. Beautiful, beautiful. Now, if the Mark right now can speak to the Mark in the school who was getting bullied, right? Three advices to that Mark then. Oh man. Um, Two or three, like depends on whatever number you want to choose. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to pull a, a curveball on you. So what I would say, what I would say is, is, um, you know, honestly, like, you know, a lot of the things that happened to me in my life uh, were definitely not the best and they definitely weren't the worst, you know, for sure. People have had way worse things happen to them. Um, but I literally would not trade anything, anything, anything in my life to like go back and change what happened to make it better because I just would not be the same person today. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm very much generalizing here, um, and assuming, but I know so many people who, um, they tell me they, they never really had any kind of struggle growing up and now they're super lost and they have no idea what they're doing in their lives. And so I'm grateful I had that time where I was lost early on in my life and I was in adversity. And so with that being said, if I could tell Mark one thing, that young Mark, I would just say like, dude, I'm super proud of you, man. Just keep going. It'll all turn out good in the end. Amazing. You just might not be able to see it right now. Amazing. Amazing. One habit or one weakness, the current Mark still has to conquer. Oh man, dude. How many, how much we could do a different podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> <a> short one. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think, uh, I think one of them for me for sure is like, um, not not becoming more emotionally reactive, but becoming more emotionally flexible in the sense of, um, so, you know, so I think the reason, so one reason why I had social anxiety, I believe, is because I was a highly, highly emotional being, uh, which means I could easily pick up on the emotions of other people, which is a great skill, but it can also be very, very dangerous, again, if you don't know how to use it. Yes. And so... 
I think that because of that, that's what gave me social anxiety, my very high uh, perception of emotions and how other people's energy move. And so I think because of that, and because of me kind of going on this transformation of me putting myself in front of these fears, of me putting myself in front of uncomfortable emotions, I think there's a part of me that has largely shut down emotions. There is a part of me that I think um, definitely needs to work more on feeling my emotions more, both positive and negative, because I can definitely still have that tendency to just be like, oh yeah, let me put on like my suit of armor into the world, my mask and try to protect myself. When in reality, I've got to realize that you know, these emotions, everyone faces them, even the super successful people. And it's not a sign of weakness that you're facing uh, a, a particularly negative emotion, unless that is, you know, perpetuated um, for a long time. And so I think, you know, the way that that's come out in terms of consequences is me being emotionally inflexible, right? And so when I'm like, when I'm in entrepreneur mode, and I'm in like a business meeting, my brain is in a completely different way than when I'm, you know, sitting down with like my significant other and just like talking about life and just relaxing and hanging out. And so I think it's that um, emotional flexibility that I'm continuously working on today to make me the real person I want to be in different environments. Yeah. Amazing. 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 So Mark, if today is the last day of your life, three things you would do. Three things you would do today. Three things I do today. Okay. So what I would do is I would, say screw March 14th. The book is coming out today. <laughs> um, and um, then honestly, I don't, I don't know what else to do. I mean, I feel like I, to be honest with you, for sure, I'm, I still have, I'm a human. I still have my problems. I definitely ha- still have regrets, but um, I honestly feel like I operate. Like I always, like I always ask myself my question that in the morning like literally always because, and that's actually like a main central chapter in my book, um, on dying. Um, and so, yeah, I would just say, put us out, put out the book today. Um, and then, yeah, that's what I'll say, bro. Put out the book today. That's it. <laughs> Amazing. Last question before you go to your book. So do you believe in God? Yes. A hundred percent. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, so tell me about the book now, people. You have been what about you? And no, and just tell brief about what it exactly contains, and why a person facing any kind of emotional challenge, mental challenge, should pick up this book, and how that book possibly would help you. Because today we have so many books coming out every day, right? And we have some good books. Some books may not be relevant. So maybe. What is your like two, three, four, five sentences about the book and why this would be relevant to people facing some emotional and mental challenges? Yeah, so this is what I would say, man. So I totally agree with you. As someone who's a podcast host like you, man, I've interviewed almost like 300 people now. I've read so many books and um, a lot of those books were a big fat waste of my time. (laughs) And honestly, I feel like I like... I literally feel like I've read this, like the same book in different versions, like probably 10,000 times. And it's like all these books that come out on like how to be successful. And it's like, here are the principles. Step one, be consistent. Step one, step two, be positive. And it's like, dude, what? Like you're literally just taking what self-development previously has said for the last hundred years. And you're just like, regurgitating it. And so as someone who sat from this side of the table of someone who's read it like a thousand books, who's someone who's interviewed some of the top selling authors of our time, 
I think I have some understanding of what makes a good book and what doesn't. Um, you know, for me, for Screw Being Shy, uh, you know, there are exercises that are at the end of every chapter. Uh, the book is, you know, it's not just about me talking about like my life stories and talking about what I think is good advice. The book is backed up by scientific evidence and studies. Um, the book has been endorsed by like, you know, people that have been neuroscientists for 40 years. Um, and so for me, you know, this book isn't even too long. Uh, it's written in a super simple way that anyone who just has trouble being themselves, that's what I would say, uh, should pick up this book. And then if you have, if you know someone or you, you know, really experience social anxiety or you have kids that are super shy or your nephew or your, or your uncle or whoever, um, this book is definitely for them. And so, uh, you know, if you care about your life, if you care about, you know, reading no BS things and just care about just the things that are actually important for you and not just, you know, writing to put enough words on the page. Like I'm a, I'm a terrible writer. I hate writing, but yeah, I wrote this book. And so it's super, super simple. Um, it's super easily digestible, but yet it's still very much legitimately backed up by science uh, and action and strategies and practicality. Um, and again, it's not, uh, it's not too short. 15% uh, of the profits are going to be donated to the American uh, Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Uh, there's an audio book that is, that is extended from the book that um, has more information and um, yeah, I'd check out this book if you are shy and just have trouble being yourself in any scenario, whether that is uh, work, um, family, significant relationships, just everyday life. You're a student, school, um, work in life. If you experience anxiety, social anxiety, any issues with mental health, um, you don't want to be shy. You don't want to be socially anxious anymore. This is who this book is for amazing it's like sounds very interesting and what are the launch date mark when the book is out finally march 14th march 14th and which is the platform major list coming on amazon uh amazon yeah perfect and now uh where can people find you mark where's the platform which you're most active on like if people want to connect to you what do you suggest yeah, so I would suggest going to my website, which is uh, myfirstandlastname.com, Mark Metry, M-A-R-K-M-E-T-R-Y.com. Um, there you'll have access to links to um, check out my book, LinkedIn, Instagram, text, email, everything that you can contact me with. Amazing, amazing. Uh, Mark, it has been such a great, uh, I think, uh, 52 minutes of talking and I still feel like we have just started. But uh, everyone, just to remind you, we are not talking to somebody with double PhD of 50 years old. We have a 22-year-old person in front who is talking about so much of wisdom, experiential knowledge and such deep insight. Mark, I can only say the future looks phenomenally phenomenally bright for you and more importantly the people who will come in touch with you and will be impacted in many many ways mark thank you so much for coming on the podcast taking your time it's a sheer pleasure for me to interview you and i hope uh, to again meet you sometime uh, some day in future when you have yeah, possibly yeah. become like the best seller for multiple books and have given 100%. across the world right i hope we soon one day again connect right? 
Thank you, Mark. God bless. Thank you so much for coming into the podcast. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you to everyone out there for listening. Look forward to connect with you in person one day. And um, I love your questions, man. Keep doing what you're doing. Pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you, man. God bless. Take care. Thank you so much.